Yo, Arnold, what are you doing here? Sylvester, look at you. It's so fantastic to see you. Yeah, you too, you too. I, I don't think you did these things anymore. Oh, yes, I audition all the time. Practice makes perfect, you know? What part are you reading for? Well, there's reading. I specifically told Joanne to make sure there'd be no reading. Yo, Joanne! No, don't worry, don't worry. There's nothing written in the script. I think they're going to let us improvise most of the lines. Oh, yo, that's great. I'm awesome at improv. Get down, look out, hold on to your stuff. It's very good, very good. Listen to this. Hello, I am a fish. My name is Wanda. Oh man, you're going in for the fish? They told me it wasn't available. That's what they said to me too. But I told them, hello, I always play the title character in my movies. Conan, Commando, Predator. Yeah, the fish is funny, right? You know, I, I figure I, I could say stuff like, hmm, yo, something smells fishy around here. Oh, that's just me. Yes, that is humorous. Or maybe if someone falls on the floor, you say, stop floundering around, you know? Yeah, yeah. Or maybe if somebody's a music player, musician. Yeah, musician. You could say something about, uh, I got a tune on my instrument. That's excellent. Or if somebody is my wife and I don't feel like having sex with them, I can say, please don't make sex on me. I have a terrible haddock. Or I card you trying to make sex with me. Or let's never do sex again. Just for the halibut. Arnold, your wife is beautiful. It's not my wife. Thought the way you were talking. It's the fish wife. Oh, okay. I just thought... It's the fish wife. Yo, let me ask you something. They offer you Die Hard? Yes, they wouldn't stop calling me about it. Me too. I was like, give it a rest. I've been there, done that. Yes, I said, anyone who knows me knows I was born to do light comedy. Also, I'm dying to work with Kevin Klein. Oh, man, me too. You see his Hamlet? It was exquisite. And Pirates of Penzance was a delight from start to finish. Agreed. Well, what about Big Chill? Hello, can you say past the tissues, please? Absolutely. But my favorite thing of his has to be episode nine of Opening Weekend, the movie podcast that travels back in time to revisit opening weekends of the past and revel in that other great American pastime, going to the movies with our friends. Coming soon. This summer, at theaters everywhere, opening weekend, rated R. I'm Jason O'Connell, and I am once again joined by my dear friends, Fred Berman and Dan Matisa. And yeah, here we are, episode nine of opening weekend. Next week, we have a very special episode for our 10th episode. You know, people don't usually celebrate the 10th. Of something, but you know, unless it's a year, an anniversary, but we're just going, we're very surprised we made it this long. So, our 10th episode next week will be an ode to 1980s Caddyshack. It is the 40th anniversary of Caddyshack, and uh, and we're going to spend our uh, 10th episode talking about that film and interviewing a very special guest, Peter Burkrout, who played Angie in the picture and who was kind enough to speak with us and tell us all sorts of great stories about the making of that film and his experience. So make sure to listen next week for our 10th episode. Uh, Today, however, we're heading back to the summer of 1988. Medical waste was washing up on the shores of New York and New Jersey, 
Dan Quayle and Lloyd Benson were announced as the vice presidential picks for George Bush and Michael Dukakis, respectively, and moviegoers were thrilling to the likes of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Big, and Coming to America. But July 15, 1988, saw the limited release of two of the summer's biggest and freshest surprises, Die Hard and A Fish Called Wanda. Before we get to the week's movies, though, Fred and Dan, what were you guys doing in July of 1988? I was growing my hair very, very long. Oh, yeah. was this Mulletville? Were you this, in was, Mullet? this was <laughs> Mulletville. It was the summer before my junior year. And uh, I was, as I've mentioned in other episodes, I was spending the summer at the Village Bath Club, the VBC, with my pals. Um, actually, this year, <laughs> I got to go because my my parents, I think, got annoyed after a while because they kept paying money for me to go to this country club. And they never went. I was the only one who went. So this year, they're like, we're not we're not joining. And I was like, please, I was begging because that was all my, where that my best friends were. That was your social life. You yeah. needed to take a bath. In, exactly. You know? <laughs> in Why the do village. they call it the bath club? Why the bath club? I Why don't can they change know. that name? I don't know. I know it's it really has like a weird Every Chelsea connotation it. behind it. Oh the village bath God. club. And then we went to the Eagle. YMCA. I just think um, of swarthy, swarthy men in 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 uh, saunas and bathtubs. Well, that's what it was. I mean, you've seen me in a bathing suit. Oh, is, there anything, <laughs> is there anything swarthier? God. No, me, no. Bathing suit. So, but my parents, <laughs> um, and you know, I, <laughs> we wonder why I was lying about, you know, all those movies, uh, when I was younger, but my parents told the village bath club that they were going to Africa for the summer. And I was living with my friend, Josh Kleinberg. So they were able to get like a reduced rate because the woman who ran the village bath club, her name was Adele, I believe. And, you know, she was like, no, 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 you have to join us. You had to join as a family. And so my parents were like, well, we're going to Africa for the summer, but, but Freddie's going to be staying with Josh and the family. So can you just tack them on to them? And somehow they bought it. And so wow. I, I went to the village bath club, you know, via the claimers, but I always had to sign what? in as a claimberg that I was, I was living with Josh um, and they were, they were on me. Like they were, I remember that woman Adele was always like, they, they were just waiting for me to slip up. Um, probably didn't help the fact that I had long hair and I was starting to listen to heavy metal at that point. So Why, what made your pet one on earth? I mean, have your parents gone to Africa? Was that like, never, I mean, they, no, they never. Just, of all places, like <laughs> we're going to the moon for three months. I guess. So please I don't try it, to get in touch. It needed to be a place. I guess you're thinking was, it's got to be a place that's so far away and so remote that we would be there for a long time. Uh, okay. You know, what if like Adele if, saw your parents around town or anything? I don't think she knew what my parents looked like because my oh. parents never went. They never uh, went to the club. Oh, thank God. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty good cover then. You yeah, know I mean? it was crazy. Yeah. But so well, was I was she like quizzing you and like, where are they in Africa now? Yeah, exactly. Are they in Nigeria? Are they in Kenya? Where are they? And right. I was like, like, oh, uh, Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. The airport like, still. Ask Mrs. Klamberg. She knows. She's keeping track of them. Uh, 88. So if you were going into junior year, I was going into sophomore year, which means, and you guys were probably in much the same place, the, the, uh, the hormones were raging. Puberty was fully, fully <laughs> uh, just screwing up your brain and your hormones and everything else. The acne was just rampant all over the face. Wait, which, talk which, a little slower. Talk a little slower. Which was, <laughs> oh, slower. God, it was sexy. The, the weight gain that went along, the self-loathing <laughs> started in earnest, the self-hatred, um, being convinced that no one would ever love me. This all starts... 
in a very sexy way in this <laughs> at this time, which is why it was great seeing Robert Davi because we have the exact same complexion. <laughs> we have the same complexion in the movie as I had at fifteen. Oh, um, and uh, yeah, I was no in Hofstra in, alum. Yes, Robert Davi. In, in uh, you know, it was it was a it was a difficult time, but it's also a lovely time because right about this time I start to you know turn the corner into not really giving a shit about any of that anymore. Um, I'm about to sort of sprout up in height, which means the sort of the chunkiness goes away a little bit. I'm about to sort of, you know, um, solidify my place in the high school. That sounds weird to say, but it's like mm. I, to have a group of friends and, yeah. and to and to be into the same things and start to be into movies with people. And yes, the bowling team, yes, the marching band. But but what that did was it gave me a group of friends that yeah. I didn't have before. Yeah, of course. And Your sort people. of the, you know, mid, let's put it this way, middle school Dan was fading away by this, by mm-hmm. this summer, right. you know, and I, pro- and I came back in the junior year um, of high school with, with a little bit of a newfound uh, confidence. That was the summer. That was the first summer that I was working in the video store. So I was working in the video nice. store, video connection in East Northport. Uh, I was also, I had the champion sweatshirts and all yes. that. And like, and, and I did have a, I, I don't wear chains or jewelry, but I did in high school. I think every Catholic oh. kid had like, you know, like one, you had better one fashion sense than I did Absolutely. the two. You guys, I was just, I was wearing like rush t-shirts and iron maiden shirts. You were what we would have called in my school. One of the dirt bags. I was a dirt bag, yeah. Yeah. No, but I was a cute the dirt, dirt bag. bag who, though. Who's, I, at, who's at the country club? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't a bathhouse dirt bag. I wasn't a true dirt bag. It's funny. I'm, I'm watching Freaks and Geeks with <laughs> no. my kids now, which is my favorite show of all time. And I was, I was very much like sort of in between. I was a, I was a, I was more of a geek. But with yeah. freak musical tendencies, you weren't a burnout. Different, no, 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 little no, 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 bit no. of a different subgroup of the dirtbags. Yeah, exactly. No, ba- I was Bath just house more- dirtbag was one of the <laughs> videos that we had in the back room at Video Connection. <laughs> well, yeah, that was the yeah, original name for that was the original name for cruising. I think Gino was first signed on. <laughs> oh, I don't know. God. I think the name is too long. Why don't we just change it to cruising? <laughs> Oh, you sure? God. Cruising? <laughs> That's good. The young Pacino, the clenched, the, the clenched incredibly jaw. clenched yeah. jaw. Oh, it was all up there, yeah. Um, he, what's his big yes, line from, from, uh, from uh, what, what was the line we used to do from uh, Injustice for All? Oh, he hung himself. He hung himself in his old jail cell. Jeffrey Tambor. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Tambor. <laughs> That's Jeffrey right. Tambor down. throwing the plates. Stop throwing plates, Jeffrey Tambor. <laughs> <laughs> what else was I doing? Okay, so yeah, so I was yeah. working at the video store and I was also, and I just remembered this, I was helping to teach a class that summer, um, like a summer school class, and not a summer school class, it was a, like, there was something called BOCES on Long Island. Yeah, I remember oh, BOCES. I remember, I heard uh, And it was, uh, and it would teach, you know, like, performing arts classes and different things. Pete um, went to BOCES, our good friend Pete Giambobo. Did he? Yeah, he yeah, went well, to BOCES for years. A, they had a summer program that, you know, for all ages in different disciplines in the arts. And, and an English teacher in my high school, not somebody I'd ever taken a class with, he was never my English teacher, but he... 
we knew each other like he had seen me in shows and had seen knew that I did stand up comedy and I was doing stand up comedy at East Side Comedy Club and some other places on Long Island at this time. And I was doing it at school and he was teaching a class. He had always like had a love of comedy, a love of stand up and whatever. Awesome. And he was teaching a class in comedy, like an introduction to comedy for kids, for like middle school kids. And he asked me to be his co-teacher. He was like, you know, you would you like to do this and help like teach a curriculum with me and do, you know, like we, oh, you'll, wow. you'll perform some, but cool. you'll also like coach kids and like help them to make a stand-up set or do sketch comedy or whatever. <laughs> Not funny, kid. It was a... Uh, I know, funny. funny. <laughs> it was so... It, yeah, well, you know... Get out of to, the biz. I did have to break it to a few of them. No, uh, they... <laughs> and they you were, think that kid's going to pass in Comac? You're wrong. It was a lovely group of kids, but it was so weird being like just a few years older than them and being like sure, a, yeah. a teacher. Because these were like, yes... I mean, I was like in 11th grade and these kids right. were in eighth grade. It's just, you know, which feels like a world apart. And it right. is in some ways, but it's also like you're just a few years older than them. And uh, but Prop it was really- comedy plays in Ronkonkoma, but not here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I would even bring in and I would go through because I could take anything out of the video store. I would like and they have the dubbing the machine to dub off stuff. So yeah. I was like putting together almost like mixes of like scene, like oh, saying like, awesome. here are great scenes from, you know, and we did, we had Monty Python stuff and Mel Brooks wow. stuff. And I, cool. I would bring in, or I could rent like, um, not rent and just take like Bill Cosby <laughs> himself, you know, that concert mm-hmm. films and sure. uh, mm-hmm. not Eddie. I wanted to bring in Eddie Murphy. Delirious. It was like, I can't bring in Eddie Murphy <laughs> to those kids. But, uh, <laughs> but actually, actually no, he let me do that too. He was like, you know, they know the language. They can, you know, this is before parents were like coming in, like, what are you showing my Becky? You know, I mean, right. it was like, you know, he was like, you can the show 80s a little parents bit didn't give a shit. They didn't care. You no. can show this much Eddie Murphy. It's all right. So anyway, it was very fun. Very fun. Well, story. that's the funny. That's one of the things I wanted to bring up today is like, if you saw these movies when they came out in the theater, you were going with your parents because, because we were underage, right? Were you, no. you were about to be 18, Jason, or already were 18? I, no, I was 17. That's right. Well, you were going with, 17, up, with an adult, no. right? Because no, we were getting into- What did you do, sneak I in? I got it. On Long no, Island, just, they let you into the R-rated movies. They really did. I, really? I had yeah. gotten, in, in, when I was a sophomore, I tried to go and see Aliens, and that- they did kick me out of like I went with a friend. Oh, really? We went to a matinee and somebody had come into the theater and said, you got to go. You got to go. And I think it's because my oh, friend wow. was much smaller than me. He was a very small. You know, he, he was he was just a small kid. And so we yeah. were the same age. But I think that tipped them off or whatever. But a, a year or so later, I think Aliens was the last time I got kind of like caught trying to go in and see a regular <laughs> movie. And then, yeah, because I was thinking the same thing. I was like. Is fish called fish called Wanda's got to be R, right? I yeah, didn't, I didn't yeah, it's it R. Yeah, but you know, I saw it with my friends. I remember seeing it opening night with my friends. For some reason, did you find this that it, if it was like a comedy or a sex comedy or a, if it was like Porky's or Spring Break or mm-hmm. something like that, that was like very taboo, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. for the for the parents, yes. you know, for the parents Absolutely. to be. But if it was an R action movie, if it was Rambo or something like that, the parents were like, "Yeah, we'll take you to see that." Yeah. Yeah, it's so still that's that way with my I kids. Die Hard. Is that yeah. how you are with your kids? That's funny. <laughs> no, we let them watch anything. We're very open. Oh, that's good. Yeah, they've seen um, Taboo. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, Hostel. Did you take them to see Hostel? When oh, yeah. Out? They've got us. The classics. The action movies were like acceptable. It was more acceptable to take your kids to them, I well, guess. But, but it was also at that time, the action movies weren't as 
I don't think, I, I don't think the, well, maybe I'm wrong, but I was going to say the violence wasn't as explicit as it is now. Um, but, but now that I think about it, no, that's completely wrong. I mean, I think yeah. about renting movies like Commando and oh, it's, just, it's, it's, it's that's, ridiculous. It's absurd. That's you know, hyper violent for yeah. its time. That one oh, turned, yeah. that we, one turned a corner. Yeah, Robocop for too is one that was, Robocop, oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah, all all those one. Verhoeven ones are like, yeah, no, forget, yeah. forget yeah, what I just said. But it's even, but it's even the way, um, um, you know, it's the way our culture kind of looks at that. You know, there's a, there's that great quote, and I don't know if it's Nicholson. If you kiss a kiss a breast, you get an X. Uh, <laughs> chop it off, you get an R. Like that, like saying that violence is wow. there's a much more lean. You know, we're yeah. much more uh, kind of prudish and almost puritanical when it comes to that sexuality on screen, and so right. the rating system shuts down on sex more harshly than it does on violence and. As a culture, as a society, we're more like it's okay for kids to see guns and knives and things blowing up and people getting killed more than it is to hear foul language or see the act of sex or nudity or whatever. And it's it's and that's weird. fucked up. It's, I maintain it's, it's, it's that is up. fucked up. It is. Oh, I do too. We, we watched uh, we watched bridesmaids with the kids recently, oh and someone was like, "Really? You showed that to your kids?" And we're like, "Yeah, but what? It's just it's language that they've heard." You know, there's some sexual stuff that we we explain, but we haven't we keep an open conversation with them. We're not like trying to hide stuff like, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of our parents did growing up. Yeah. You know, we're very open with stuff. But I'm like, there's nothing worse than that, that, you know, you think about something like Deadpool or, you know, some of the more violent oh, action God. movies. <laughs> and I'm like, this is just literally people talking to each other and occasionally they say a curse word or talk about sex. Like, right. I, right. how bad is that? Yeah. Right. It's, uh, you know, it's what I'm saying is I'm a better parrot than you are, listener. <laughs> okay. Uh, You're wrong. Or than any of our parents at that time. You're exactly. You're a better parent now than any of our parents. Were. I am. The you've got it all figured out. Parent ever. Just watch well. whatever you want. I'm busy. <laughs> Although no, you're, you're the best. Cause you're like, watch whatever you want and I'll watch it with you. And I'll, I will suffer through sex scenes with my children. How do you do well, that? How do you handle that? They well, they can, talk well, about no, it. We've never, we do, we are it. very open about that, but no, we, we are careful. I don't think we've seen, we haven't watched a movie where there's like a sex scene. Mm -hmm. Like, and I'm not talking about like a porno, but like they've seen a lot of movies. They're both at the age where when people are kissing, they turn away. They're like, ew, they get uncomfortable. Um, but they haven't, I don't think we've watched anything where there's sort of like an explicit sex scene. Right. Uh, or maybe there is. Did you, but, you watch, know. did you watch Wanda with the kids? We're, we're going to get yeah, into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We watched, I watched Wanda and Die Hard with them. See, it's the funny because I watched that Wanda. is so over the top. It's over the top. Oh my God. But, I know, but you know, I still but, kept, I watched it and I was thinking specifically because you had said, oh, I'm watching Fish Called Wanda with the kids and I hadn't seen it in so long. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, the kids yeah. are watching this right now. I mean, again, it's just I was like, am about, I man enough for Megaforce? Would I show my children? <laughs> You know, we just, we, we just talk about everything, you know, See, and we try awesome. to be honest that's and, good. and, that's, and that's I mean, but, that's why your but kids are so mature and wonderful and, and well smart. adjusted and smart and they smoke and they drive, but that's good. <laughs> they, can, jobs. they can get you places when you need to get some. No, God bless. Hopefully they'll, they'll be geniuses and get jobs and be able to support me. When I'm, you know, we're doing this podcast in 30 years and being like, please someone subscribe and. Yeah, in, our, in our senility. Like, yeah. yeah. Let's talk about gremlins. And be like, you did that four times. <laughs> when we're You're all when slipping. we're all laying there at the podcaster's hospice. 
you know. And there'll be a and lot the, of us. And there's one. And there's no. We the three of us will share a room, and there'll be one t- one TV. <laughs> and I'll be, you know, you two will be, re- you know, you'll you'll be almost flatlined, but I'll still have a little bit of a beep, beep, just a little bit, and I'll say, <laughs> put on. Babies down. <laughs> and then, and then, then you two both go, that'll be the final thing. <laughs> the doctor will be like, he kept saying, he's delirious. He keeps asking us how many Sheilas we give it. <laughs> I don't know what that is. So I just loaded him up with morphine. <laughs> and it's that kind of dark humor that uh, takes us into the week's first movie, A Fish Called Wanda. Otto is a man of many talents. Hey, great fish. Oh, a little squeeze of lemon, some tartar sauce. Ken Walker is a man of few words. Tell him from me. George is the man with the plan. 13 millions, my friends. And Wanda. Do you speak Italian? Molto pericoloso. Is the woman they love. They all set out to commit the perfect crime. To 20 million. To a job well done. But it turned into something. George moved the loot? Less than perfect. Disappointed! John Cleese. Will you leave immediately, please? Jamie Lee Curtis. Kiss me there. Kevin Klein. Put the other one up. Michael Palin. May I kiss you, Ken? No, you can't! A fish called Wonder. <laughs> A smashing. Oh, dear. Comedy. British gangster George Thomason played, funnily enough, by Tom Georgeson, and his hapless assistant, the animal-loving, speech-impeded Ken, played by Michael Palin, draft a pair of arrogant Americans, Wanda Gershwitz, a grifter, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, and Otto West, a weapons expert, played by Kevin Klein, for a massive diamond heist. When the job goes badly, however, Wanda attempts to seduce George's barrister, Archie Leach, played by John Cleese, to find out where the diamonds are actually hidden. Soon, all parties are at cross-purposes, proving the axiom that there is, in fact, no honor among thieves. Writer John Cleese and director Charles Crichton had been trying to develop a film together for the better part of 20 years. When Wanda was finally made, Crichton was 78 years old, and the studio, MGM, required Cleese to serve as an uncredited co-director. In the end, Crichton would earn an Oscar nomination for his direction, and the film was a significant hit, rolling out slowly over the summer, and ultimately generating $62.5 million when all was said and done. John Cleese earned an Oscar nomination for his screenplay, and Kevin Kline won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. Fred and Dan, what did you guys think of A Fish Called Wanda? I loved it when it came out. Uh, I still love it to this day. It came out at the perfect time for me because this was like at the height of my python fanaticism Mm -hmm. this was right when me and my friends all you know all my buddies at the bbc we were you know i talked about when we talked about hollywood bowl we knew all the sketches we would do them we would perform them at school for talent shows uh that summer i think we did there was a talent show and we did the lumberjack song um we (laughs) were you know so the fact that this movie came out and we thought oh my god holy shit two of the guys from python are making this movie. And as Dan mentioned before, the hormones are kicking in. You know, we're getting that place. We're like, oh, and Jamie Lee Curtis is okay. oh uh, And I remember, you know, I don't know if we saw it. I don't know if I saw it the opening weekend. 
I know I saw it in the theaters that summer. I must have. You said it was we, limited release, Jason, at first. It was that that first week. It was limited release, and it it rolled out pretty slowly. Like it would keep adding. Huh. It was like the way you read about things like Jaws and Star Wars opening, or, or, okay. or really small indie films. Right. The way they Caught open fire and then boom. Because wow. I was tracking. I was like, gosh, I it only made like a hundred thousand dollars for. No, wait, is that true? Yeah, some, yeah, like $100,000 at like three theaters or something, three screens in the United huh. States. And then the following week added a few more and then went up to 100 and then went up to 600 and then went up to, you know, they, so it did kind of, and then it was very popular throughout the late summer of 88. And it was kind of one of those, it reminds me of um, a movie from 10, exactly 10 summers later, there's something about Mary, which kind of that opened mm-hmm. wide, mm-hmm. but it had this phenomenon of like being out several weeks before it hit number one, which almost <laughs> never ever happens. You yeah. know, it's uh, things open big and then they fade away. And it really had, so like Fish Called Wanda was like that and that it had w- real legs and kind cool. of improved upon itself as the rest of the summer went on. But, yeah. Yeah, there was something we were, I, I, I must have seen it in the theaters. I, I, I don't know for certain, but I just know my friends and I were just, we, we, we just loved it. And, um, I still think it holds up, you know, oh, yeah. um, there it's, it's so fun to see John Cleese play this sort of put upon harried, you know, so, I mean, he always plays so it like wildly that. different. It's so attitude very that he different. Brings, yeah, right? exactly. Which is really, really nice. Uh, and he does it really, really well. And God, I mean, Kevin Klein is, he's fucking brilliant in it. You know, you're like, well, of yeah. course he won the Oscar for it. I mean, mm-hmm. at the time, mm. I was howling. I thought he was hysterical, but through the years watching him, it's just one of those perfect comedic performances for the ages. The the physicality, everything about it is just. You look at him, you're He's like, so okay, he, he, there's a guy who knows his instrument, who knows his body, who has control yes. of every facet of that instrument and his talent and he just he knows what to do with it um and it doesn't come off as too big as overly theatrical no it fits you know. the movie yeah it mm-hmm. fits it so well and there is not a, 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 a one wasted moment hello honey what happened uh, nothing what's that uh not granny uh not yet oh no who's it for then a, f- uh, a fish. F- Frenchman. A phone operator. Friend. Oh, a four-legged one? Oh. <laughs> Where's my sister? It's just a masterful, <sighs> masterful comedic performance. That's, a, that's exactly what I've, I made a note. In the middle of watching it, I was like, he's such a dynamic, powerful, subtle, masterful, yes. and graceful actor. So all the things you're saying, that physicality, he's oh. so, I mean, such an, a brilliant theater actor, such a great Shakespearean, such a great yeah. clown, so everything. and But also incredibly subtle. Like he does very small, delicate work, you know, yeah. within within this very broadly drawn character. Too. And yeah. such a, what a, f- like just such a funny character, you know, this blunt, you oh, know, so, so crass human and- weapon who's just, you know, his only- The only ugly thing- American. He is the I, ugly American. You know, I, I used <laughs> to think, I used to look at this and I used to think, oh, it's so funny, this big Hollywood summer movie that had these- these British stars from Monty Python at the head of, mm-hmm. it, that's how I always remembered it kind of. And then I'm like, no, 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 this is like this 
in a way, this little British movie, this little British comedy that yeah. happened to have a couple of big mm-hmm. American stars in it takes place in London. It was, you know, directed by a, 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 a Brit and, uh, and, and then kind of rolled out slowly. It's much more like this, yeah, this little um, foreign film, this little British film that, you know, yeah. hit big on these shores. And so it's funny that Klein really is kind of the epitome it must have played like gangbusters overseas he really is the ugly fucking american well and that's so much yeah. what the movie i think is about in many ways that john cleese is talking about how uptight the brits are you know, yeah. that's such a theme of his character in the movie i mean especially between the 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 juxtaposition sex scenes between the two yes. it's just it's fantastic where it just cuts to them you know slowly getting to their separate beds and it's hard to think of another movie that does what this movie does in that regard that basically says here are some uptight or off the wall Brits and here are some um, Americans who are who are using, you know, their 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 uh, wiliness and their, you know, especially the Jamie Lee Curtis character, the slyness and and the, you know, one's really smart, one's really. The other thing about the client character is like, you know, they say in the movie a million times, he's like, don't call me stupid. You know, that mm. he's not. He's reading Nietzsche all the time, but he's just not smart. And yet he is smart about certain things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He is he is good at certain things, like the well, he's weaponry a criminal. and everything. Yeah he's, yeah, a, he's a weapons master. He's a criminal. He's but he has guy. no like street sense or no common no. sense, I guess. Yeah. And then on the flip side of that, you know, you have um, you have the Brits who are, you know, uh, excellent at, at what they do and, and robbing the bank and everything. But Michael Palin has the it's like everyone has their foible or their weakness. And those are the moments when the movie is not subtle. And that's what's great about Klein's performance. He's actually Mm -hmm. my least favorite performance of the four. And I act and I think that's and I'm not saying he's bad. He's wonderful in it. But I love love um john cleese in this i like he, he is, is he's so, so fucking brilliant in this thing everything he's doing i mean talk about subtle he's it's incredibly teeny, subtle, tiny yeah. in this thing jamie lee curtis is fantastic holds the whole thing together michael palin is ridiculous oh, he's, he's, he's just in gorgeous it. that performance oh it's funny God. i was i was i was reading an interview with john cleese and he said that when him and um well, I'm sorry, what's the director's name again? Charles uh, Crichton. Crichton. Crichton, Crichton, right. When they were talking about doing this movie together, it, it, it was, they had two ideas. He said, John Cleese had the idea, of, I, I, I want to have a character who has a stutter and just needs to get out some information, but he can't get the information out because he's got a stutter. And Charles Crichton said, I want to do a movie where someone gets run over by a steamroller. And that was the start. That's, they were like, okay, let's do it. Let's write. Jamie Lee Curtis is so good. I, I've always enjoyed her, but- Watching it recently, I'm like, God, you're right, Dan. She she holds it all together. Yeah, she's that, that so character holds it all good. together. Her that's, that, what I mean, know, that's what I mean. That's what Wanda yeah. Yeah. is the heart of the but movie. It, it's, but yeah. she does it so well, and it's funny. You know, we we're talking about Quick Change last <laughs> week, and that's with the Gina Davis character. I wanted that character to be more like Wanda. Mm. I loved how she was. That character was so self assured. Yeah, she was going for what she wanted. Yeah. She was so smart. She was so good. She was so sexy. But there was something I, I wanted more of that from, from Gina's Gina Davis's yeah. character in Quick Change. I, I think may, maybe because I'd watched a fish called Wanda right before that, uh-huh. I was maybe I missed it. But 
She's so, I mean, I'll tell you, God, when she, you know, I said, I watched it with my kids. When she showed up that shot of her in the brawn panties, like I heard my son go through puberty. Oh. I, I heard, um, and I was like, my God, but she's so good. And the scene where she's got the nair on her upper lip, I loved. Yeah. 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 You know, there was, there was, she, there was a vulnerability about her and she wasn't afraid to play this woman for who she was at all, all the different angles and levels to her. Um, and she's and, out for herself, but she's not a jerk. You know what I mean? You want, yeah. you're rooting for her. That's an interesting thing that the movie does. You because know what I mean? You, you want her to win. The, right. Uh, because you also see, you see the warmth that the real feeling that she has for Cleese. You see the, that she sees Klein for what he is, you know, like mm -hmm. all of these, like she endears herself to you, even though she's kind of, you know, all the machinations of the plot and that she is this, you know, master manipulator, but you also see that those very important moments of, of her humanity, things that we can connect with and agree now, with her on. Apparently, Absolutely. I also read in this interview that the original ending, she screws over John Cleese. That it see, ends. That's what I thought was going yeah, to happen. Yeah. There was that. I couldn't remember how it ended. I was like, oh, she's still going to get him. You yeah, know? And no, then that I scroll knew, goes and you find out the, that he There was something him. that, and I can't remember what it was, something to do with some shoes that she was wearing where like the last shot was them hugging and it pans down to her shoes. And there was something about it that made it obvious that she's going to screw mm -hmm. him over. And the mm -hmm. audience hated it. And the audience wanted, mm -hmm. when they do the test audiences, they wanted them to End fall in love and get together. Yeah. And- <laughs> <laughs> There's that, and and it's in an interview that I that I was watching with her. She was saying that, and again, going back to this whole thing of John Cleese doing something so different. That scene where they're in the bed, and he's just he's just talking about how wonderful she is, and him just watching John Cleese, who's normally like this very authoritative, mm -hmm. powerful. You know, he's the one talking at you. His characters, um, just to see him so vulnerable and open that this woman has given him this, you know, this new lease on life. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Um, you know, she oh, said they did joyous. this. Yeah. And they, she said they did this one take where John Cleese started to cry. Yeah. And the character was so happy. And I think she, she said that something happened and they, they couldn't end up using the take, oh. but it was that idea that audiences, it, you know, you watch it and you're, you're also, you're rooting for him. Abs oh, you know? Absolutely. You're Unquestionably, so, you're rooting for him. Even yeah. though there's a part of me that's like, well, he is cheating on his wife and that's, you know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But you you sense this guy's happiness. You're um, rooting for well, his you can tell happiness. He's, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, not, he's not happy in his day-to-day -day life. And, and, and yeah, he's going through. He's you know, it's mid, through it. It's midlife crisis, the movie, yeah. right? I mean, essentially, <laughs> but it's, you know, but it's, you do really care about him. And it is so, it's really heartwarming that he wanted that that Cleese wanted to write this kind of part for himself or give himself this you know you talk about actors create your own work if you want to see yourself if, if the industry is not seeing you a certain way you've got to make that opportunity for yourself because yeah. this is very different than anything he's played before and he's he's yeah. beautiful in it and it is a very very subtle performance and, and quite moving your brother didn't bring you here this time did he no he's no idea he doesn't have a clue. What? <laughs> he is so dumb. Really? He thought that the Gettysburg Address was where Lincoln lived. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those terrible lies he told about the CIA. <laughs> so painful. And when he heard your daughter's name was Portia, yeah. he said, 
Why did they name her after a car? <laughs> <laughs> I love the way you laugh. Oh, I love you. You're funny. Mm, how come a girl as bright as you could have a brother who's so... Don't call me stupid. <laughs> My... Jesus Christ! My favorite, well, not my favorite performance, but right up there is not, not one of the four. It's Maria Aitken as his wife, as, as John Face's wife. Wonderful. She's wonderful. excellent. Fantastic. And I didn't realize who... You know, I, I I know her. I've auditioned for her. We've we've been in we've cool she communicated. Did the she's come and she directed Thirty Nine <gasps> Steps. Yeah, uh, awesome. She's she's we've stayed in touch. She's seen me in plays in New York. Like we've had correspondence. She's a lovely woman who I I know her as an older woman. And I forgot. Yeah. I'm watching the movie and I'm like, God, the wife is great. Like she's really great. great. Like yeah. Like I was uh, laughing out loud at her stuff. I was like, she's su- subtle heartbreaking, funny, really funny. I was like, oh, this is no bit player. This is no like somebody, you know, like here's the four leads and here's just somebody as the wife. Like, she's a major talent. And I looked at yeah. her, I was like, who is that? And she's I saw great. her name. I there's even, like, oh, there's even that moment at the end when like, you know, he he plays off that the necklace is for her, you mm-hmm. know, and suddenly they get oh, Randy yeah. and just that next more, you know. She, that's oh, the smile on her face as she's yeah. slowly she's, eating breakfast because they've breakfast. just had a yeah, night of it's, passion. It's, it's sort of heartbreaking. It's she's touching yeah. the necklace yeah. and she's oh. so happy. A friend that, of mine did 39 steps with her and, and he said that she's absolutely lovely. Wonderful. Yeah, she's, I have a friend who did 12th night with her recently and, and uh, yeah, same thing. Just telling your husband here before I uh, <clears throat> had to go to your beautiful bathroom. Uh, we've uh, got a high-ranking KGB defector in a safe house near here. We're debriefing him as of now, and uh, we're just uh, checking all the houses in the neighborhood. For what? For KGB. Is there any danger? No, 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 no. No, uh, <clears throat> we uh, just want to keep everyone informed. <clears throat> keep everyone informed? So there's no panic, ma'am. But isn't it a secret? You have no idea how secret. Well, why are you telling everyone? Look, you obviously don't know anything about intelligence work, lady. It's an XK Red 27 technique. My father was in the Secret Service, Mr. Manfred Jinsinjan, and I know perfectly well that you don't keep the general public informed when you are debriefing KGB defectors in a safe house. Oh, you don't, huh? Not unless you're congenitally insane or irretrievably stupid, no. Apparently, when those dogs and the terriers die, it was much more violent. Apparently, I don't like any of those moments. I I really? hate those moments. I don't think they're funny. I I I, I really, really didn't find them. Funny. I don't know if they're supposed to be funny. They, I found sort of, well, they're, they're I think they're played as me. comedy, but they are yeah, but they're horrible. Oh, I, I laughed like very, a lunatic. Apparently, <laughs> I like dogs. I'm sure. Apparently, I, I'm it was filmed much in a much more gruesome manner, where you saw like the dogs just split open and blood oh, everywhere. Wow. Oh, and wow. Yeah, see, that doesn't no. work. It's got to be no. a little bit of, you know, it's got to be a little bit of, uh, of, of the Monty Python, you know, someone very, getting crushed yeah. by a hammer or a yeah. foot or whatever, you know what I but mean? But it's also great that the guy who loves animals so much just keeps killing animals by accident. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's the I guess maybe that's why I didn't like part it. of the movie. Yeah. Oh, I think because I, I it broke my heart so much for him. For I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to laugh at here. The cruelty to animals or the cruelty <laughs> to the 
<laughs> nicest guy in a way in the movie, you know, or I mean, I, right. John Cleese is probably that, but yeah, I mean, because you forget sometimes that Michael Palin's on a mission to kill an to elderly kill an old woman. Lady. <laughs> so in that sense, it's like, yeah, I'm sure they would say their defense would be, he fucking deserves it. It's nice to like animals, but you shouldn't like them at the expense of human beings. So I, I, I hear you. But. but that's the dark comedy element of it, right? The black I know, comedy but for element, some reason I thought you know, it would. And I like that kind of humor. It's do not you? That okay. Oh, sure. I, you I love like, watching animals get oh my God. trampled upon. <laughs> Please, let's not talk about it. You're going you're gonna to be able to hear me enter puberty soon. Um, <laughs> if you talk about that anymore. No. And that's, and that's when PETA shuts down the podcast. <laughs> uh, we're done. Um, um, yeah, but no, I, yeah, something about this. Maybe it was not seeing it in it. Maybe I'm sure in the theater, it was probably this kind of rock. Talk about something that reminds me of there's something about Mary. That's also a movie where it's like, you know, let's, let's show like things happening to a dog, you know, violence happening to a dog. Yeah. But in that movie, the dog keeps coming back keeps and living, being okay. Yeah. It keeps living. But, mm-hmm. uh, but there is the fun, the, the, um, I guess that's it. I guess it's like, it's like if it bends, it's funny. If it breaks, not funny. Like, like, yeah. like hurting the dogs is kind of like throwing dogs out windows. Another dog grabs them. Run. Like when I was like, oh shit, that dog's, the dogs are dying. They are dying one by one. Oh, yeah. It didn't, it actually, the dark humor just maybe, and maybe it's because I wasn't watching with an audience in, in an audience of people having a good time. You kind of can get carried away with something. And I, there's something about just watching it at home. And I was like, the um you know the two pythons uh in the movie don't have a scene until very late in the yeah. movie they don't Which even is really meet as characters and then you get for my money it's the amazing. best scene in the movie oh is when they finally get God. together have you got a stutter oh okay don't worry don't worry do you know where they've gone uh, fine, fine. Where? The car. The car. The car. No hurry. The car. Sing it. Sing the car. The car. The car. Plenty of time. The car. Oh, come on! Sorry, I'm sorry. This movie uh, has a special place in the in the opening weekend uh, oh. pantheon, I guess, only because uh, one of our our longtime listeners of eight episodes or whatever it is, mm. my friend Damon, who I've spoken before, he always would wait. You know, every Monday morning when we're supposed to drop, <laughs> if he if it didn't come out on time, he would always send me the meme of Kevin Klein going disappointed. So I was like, ah, finally, we're going to be doing Wanda. So there you go, Damon. Yeah. Don't send me that meme if this comes out late. When does Jamie Lee Curtis sort of make the turn in her career from sort of scream queen, Halloween, mm. prom night, Halloween to into doing comedy? Is it Trading, Trading Places? Trading Places, Which is, yeah. that's one of my favorite movies of all time, yeah. as you guys And that's know. what Cleese said, that he saw her in that and okay. said, okay, I, I got to work with her. Okay. Yeah, so Landis, who is a horror fan, <laughs> as we know, gives her the shot in Trading Places. He, she's not really in comedies before that. I mean, no, probably it's a little bit arch, so. but, you know. I, I just read something last week. I was reading a piece about Trading Places and uh, and how the studio was giving Landis a lot of grief for casting her. Like, really, we're like, huh. they, oh, wow. they thought of her because she was, like, from Halloween and Prom Night and things like that. They thought she was, like, a lesser actress and they're like what are you giving i mean i think the quote was something like 
what are you doing? Give me this has been this like, you know, I mean, Ooh, to just like wow. this, you know, and I, I can't remember which executive said it, but it was oh, somebody pretty geez. high up at Paramount at the time. And did, but they pushed the Dumb. casting through and she yeah. was wonderful. She's yeah. great. Have you guys oh, seen Knives great. Out? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. I like that. She's, she's great in that. Yeah, I, I love, love that movie and she's fantastic. It's fun. Oddly enough, we're talking about movies that my kids watch. That's my daughter's who's 10 years old, That's she counts that as her favorite movie. Knives really? Out. So that's how I convinced them to watch movie. A Fish Called Wanda because they were like, I don't know. And I was like, but Jamie Lee Curtis is in it. And awesome. I'm like a much younger Jamie Lee Curtis, but yeah, she's <laughs> she's great. She's just, she's a wonderful, dependable actress that I don't want to say people for, I don't want to say you, you take her for granted or you forget about it, but you, I guess maybe I, 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 always I, liked her. I always I've always liked great. her too. And I'm always, I don't know why it's a surprise to me. Uh, but she's she's well, really maybe good. she just hasn't had like because she's very very talented and did she ever kind of have like a, I mean certainly career with breakout stuff I mean a movie like this or Trading Places or even things like Freaky Friday or whatever I mean she's been in oh, big yeah. hits you know yeah. mm-hmm. and then of course the Halloween Major franchise hits. or whatever but yeah I feel like True Lies was a big oh turn True Lies yes. was big. I was gonna say that was a big one yeah. for her yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we watched that movie with the kids and I had oh. never seen it before or I maybe I I didn't remember. But that strip scene that she does, <laughs> yes. talk about like, you know, what do we do on our kids? That was like, uh, you guys turn, turn around, turn around. Cause wow, that goes on for a long time. Yeah. And, and she, she falls down in the middle of it. She does oh, comedy. Yeah. She does a comedy bit She's in great. the middle yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. Please stop trying to make sex on me. Oh, <laughs> well now you're floundering on the floor. <laughs> Check please. Get up. <laughs> Check please. Please do help me with my hawk sack. The moment in uh, Trading Places where she's doing the Swedish uh, mm-hmm. uh, Swedish, the Swedish meatballs. Right. That's one of my favorite moments. You know, she's showing, she's got great comic chops there. She yeah. comes hey, from. She's a, she married comes, to Christopher Guest. That's and all. she comes. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I always look at her. I'm like, I'm like, you can, you can undermine it. Wait, if Christopher Guest sees something in her, you know, because you know, I mean, she's a beautiful, sexy woman. You know, he needs to be with a smart, funny, sharp, <laughs> talented human being. I, I can't imagine, you know. Him being you know, the, either one of them being interested in in uh, being with anybody uh, less than who they wound up with. Going to the Big Apple for the first time, you know, is such an experience. You never forget it. It stays with you for your whole life. Me, you know, right out of the Navy, you know, fresh off a destroyer uh, with a dance belt and a tube of chapstick, basically, you know, not really much to call my own. If you guys want to, we can check the mailbag. To, see if, to, to see if there's anything in there. I mean, I you have the mailbag, so it's, do you want to check? I'll, I'll take a look. I'll just see. I'll just see if there's anything in there. Let me just get it because it's down on the floor here. Let's get it so heavy. So much in there. It's so much. Let me just rifle through the thousands of letters that are in there. Okay. We'll get this one. <laughs> this one That's, out. Oh, delightful. that was the sound of puberty. Mazel tov, everyone. Um, Okay, this is interesting now. This is very interesting. This letter. mm, mm. (laughs) It's not a telegram like last week. Oh, that's good. But it is stamped on the back of the envelope. Sing Sing. Oh, okay. So second week in a row. I'm going to go ahead and open it. I'm going to go ahead and open it up here and just, uh, oh, it's it's written in a 
looks like a child's scrawl. Hey, I like you guys. Everything fine here. Don't worry about me. Buzzness, great. It's written in the script. It's very hard to read. It's like it's like a five-year-old wrote, wrote it. <laughs> well, who is it from? Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> Love XOXOXOXO. Sheila. Wow. Huh. There's a jelly stain on it. That's not jelly. <laughs> and oh hang on a minute hang on let me turn this over from the desk of jacob joseph wait wait wow. wait wait i don't get it well they said last week she what said was that this? he said she that, said the, the honey pot got raided right there was something they were doing she, illegal she, honey. she said she said the honey racket yeah right the honey, her, racket, her honey right? pot i think is still intact <laughs> okay good but well, she good said you, dan she said in the telegram damn you jacob joseph that's right that's right but wait is there some is jacob, crossing so jacob joseph has it does it say anything else on the stationery? Is he <laughs> is he working at Sing Sing? Why does he have stationery? And she had to send a, a telegram last week. I mean, you think he's there? Are they cellmates? That wouldn't I, make sense. I just know that this is very sticky. <laughs> it's it's it, there's jelly on. I think this might be honey on here. Oh, there's my. there's you know that I hope this is powdered sugar. <laughs> In the envelope. I hope it's not like, you know, anthrax, anthrax. or something. Good God. Oh, my God. Or SARS. And and this is um, Back when very those were the strange. things we had to worry about. Jeez. This is very strange. Wow. And uh, uh, something's going on here. Something, you should, I mean... This, this is mystery now. This is like mystery. This is our very own Knives Out, but in the honey industry. <laughs> You know, like, this is, we got, this is, this is something yeah, very fishy out. called one Honey comes here. out. <laughs> well, you know, to be I, continued. I would have thought, continued. yeah, I would have thought if wow. she'd gotten one phone call, it would have been to you, Dan. I thought it would have been oh, to you mean if she, yeah, if she, you know. Well, when get, she got arrested, I, I wonder who she. Who actually, she? I actually heard that she did call Dan and she said, hey, Dan. Welcome to the party, pal. <laughs> no, not a good segue, Sham That was a oh. good segue. Who needs a segue? We've got two movies, and everybody knows <laughs> what the second one is. Segways. Who needs them? Oh, guys, it's... it's. Uh... Well, that joke died hard. Yeah. Now you're oh, talking. Now we got a segue. We got a segue. Segway. Barry Bostwick segwayed into your heart. He's all the flying segways, Michael Beck, look out. But here comes John McClane, gonna take you out. Now go. Die hard. We thank you one and all and wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. It's Christmas Eve in L.A. But a team of terrorists. You want money. What kind of terrorists are you? Who said we were terrorists? Have their own holiday plans. And I'm telling you, you just gonna have to kill me. Okay. We do it the hard way. But the one thing they didn't plan on was New York cop 
John McLean. Got invited to the Christmas party by mistake. Who knew? Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee-ki-yay, mother... He's an easy guy to like. Welcome to the party, pal. And a hard man to kill. Bruce Willis. Die Hard. NYPD cop John McClane, played by Bruce Willis, flies to Los Angeles on Christmas Eve to visit his estranged wife, Holly, played by Bonnie Bedelia, and their two children, hopeful for a reconciliation. John meets Holly at the high-rise office tower where she works as an executive of the Nakatomi Corporation. And during an office Christmas party, a group of terrorists, led by Alan Rickman's Hans Gruber, take control of the building and hold everyone hostage while attempting a lucrative heist. Unable to escape and with no immediate police response other than an LAPD beat cop played by Reginald Vell Johnson, who communicates with McLean via walkie-talkie, John is forced to take matters into his own hands. Die Hard was offered to all the major action stars of the day, including Stallone and Schwarzenegger, before the studio and director John McTiernan took a chance on TV's moonlighting star, Bruce Willis. The casting was a boon, as Willis brought comedic chops and weary vulnerability to the role while simultaneously proving himself as a viable action hero. Like Wanda, Die Hard also executed a slow rollout to theaters, earning $600,000 in 21 locations before opening wide and making $83 million domestically and $140.7 million worldwide. The film spawned four sequels and countless imitators and is, somewhat surprisingly, considered by many to be a holiday classic. (laughs) Thus, Fred and Dan, I pose this question before all others. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie or not? Uh, I guess so. I mean, I could see watching it at Christmas when you are done watching actual Christmas movies or when you want to break from It's a Wonderful Life, Miracle on 34th Street, things like that. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. Pop this in. Takes place on Christmas Eve. There's Christmas music in it. Christmas music all the way through it. You know, they're at a Christmas party through most of it. So why, sure, why the fuck not? You know, put it put it on at Christmas. But is it a Christmas movie in the traditional sense of like it's a celebration of goodwill and a celebration of something <laughs> magical? And I mean, kind of, you know, I kind guess. Of. You know, kind I mean, of. I, what do you think, Fred? I I don't know. I've always found that are people get really really heated about that. It's I agree a with big Dan. Thing. Like, yeah. yeah, I agree with Dan. Like I can see it as a movie that you'd. Went on at the end of the night if it was playing, but <laughs> I, I mean, uh, it takes place during Christmas. I, well, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I say, I mean, and I watched it again today and it, I mean, yes, it takes place on Christmas Eve and it is, uh, uh, you know, and the music is all through it. That's, that's kind of yeah. the biggest uh, nod <laughs> to Christmas more that I, I did notice too. I was like, boy, for, for Christmas Eve, even in Los Angeles, there's a curious dearth of Christmas decorations and things, you know, like, yeah. like things in certain places. There are certain uh, sets and locations where the Christmas aspect is they hit it pretty hard, no pun intended. But the, <laughs> but then in others, you're like, it would be easy, like there's a scene in a convenience store. And I'm like, you're telling me a convenience store on Christmas Eve doesn't have like one string of garland up or a Santa Claus <laughs> thing in the window. Um, but I do, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm also the guy who always says Gremlins is a Christmas movie. 
Batman, Batman Returns is a Christmas movie. These, these like big, <laughs> big films that like, you know, it's just like the this, the winter landscape and, you know, sure. and has all the iconography. They're even at if least it doesn't alt have, Christmas movies. Yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> but my wife, Kate, it is the movie that she and her brother watch on Christmas. It really? is like, oh, cool. It is their Christmas movie. And I mean, she's that's like, cool. if it was just my wife saying it, I'd be like. Okay, I'd, I'd appraise it and say like, all right, what do I think? But they're constantly there are these articles being written and people saying, yeah. you know, like you can. You're, it's like this is the type of per- dog person or cat person, person who thinks Die Hard is a Christmas movie or not a Christmas movie. It's like <laughs> a real like kind of Rorschach test of something. But um, yeah, I but mean, she, it is in the sense that the, it's the catalyst for the whole movie. I mean, he's coming home. For he's, he's not coming home. He's going yeah. to L.A. Yeah. to see his kids because of Christmas. He yeah. comes so bearing home. gifts. That's the whole thing. And looking for reconciliation. Yeah. And, and you know, she, Kate was like, she's like, not only is it a movie. I watch with she's like it's a movie about family it's about like coming together with your family and trying to like reclaim your family and she's like a lot of Christmas movies are hung on you know far thinner premises you know about like how many Christmas lights you can put up and I think I'm just going to say this not that it's anything particularly Christmassy about it the relationship the friendship that grows between McLean and And Al and Al it's beautiful. I thought it was such a beautiful friendship that blossoms over the movie. It doesn't make it a Christmas movie, but when you talk about something that's like, but that, but you know what I mean? Something that well, makes it a, a heartwarming kind of like you talked about uh, goodwill and, and sure. And I, I don't know. There's something, it, there is some, some positive uplift in the movie that is, uh, you know, well, let's unpack that. He is a savior, right? He's coming to save them, literally. He's the yes. savior. He, he sort of gets bloody feet. He, he gets sort of reborn or baptized in blood as the movie goes. Okay, because he is—he's one thing at the beginning of the movie, and he changes his like that's the whole yeah. thing. I mean, he's putting the water on himself, yes. and he's going. I got to change. I got to change. I got to be this other thing that I was supposed to be that I've been bad at. And by the end, he's saying, "Tell my wife." That I'm yeah, a new that I'm man. man. And Reginald Bell Johnson has the same build as Santa Claus. So I think <laughs> it all works. <laughs> How about that, Bruce Willis? Die hard. He- I hard. <laughs> <laughs> Gene, you liked it that Gene- much. Again, did not see it. <laughs> but please use that. Uh, Bruce Willis, yes. That's that's what drew me to see it at in in eighty eight because we were all this was his first big movie and we were huge Moonlighting fans. Like he oh, was, me too. We always oh, watched oh, Moonlighting. Love that love show. That. He was just. I love that show. I'd never seen an actor like that. Men's room. I am not a sexist. Not only are you a sexist, but you are the sexiest sexist it has ever been my good fortune to satirize. Satirize? Satirize, scrutinize, fantasize, etc., etc., etc. It's funny because you watch it now and it's such, you know, like the macho man action hero mm-hmm. tropes. But at the time, it's like you're saying it, it, it was sort of a novel idea the movies at that time you know you had the rambo movies um and predator like you were saying and now you just have this normal everyday guy right in one of these big huge blow em up action movies so it was it yeah. was really cool to see a guy who actually who had hair on his chest yeah They're like wait what yeah. more, uh, more hair on his chest than on his head right and it's it true 
but yeah, still not as much as Fred has on his chest. Very swarthy, as we said very, earlier. Very swarthy. But yeah, he didn't have a skills. He didn't. I mean, he was a cop, but he didn't have this like skill set of. Tri- he wasn't James Bond. You know, he wasn't Rambo. You're right. He's a, he's a real. Yeah, I, I think when they were casting it too, because again, they did. They offered it to all the big action guys, mm-hmm. and now there are jokes in the movie at their expense. You know, there are jokes about Rambo, jokes about Schwarzenegger, because now you've got a guy who is not that archetype. Right. And so, whenever they came around to the idea, I guess after they did the, maybe it was obligatory to offer it to those guys. But I did read something that said they wanted to cast somebody in that. If you had your druthers, if it wasn't just about pure box office, because they didn't know if Bruce Willis could, you know, work as a a, a leading man on film. But if you had your druthers, you wanted somebody who looked like they might lose at any moment. Like that, sure. you know, it was there like you the go. odds are against him and he's not a superhero. And yeah. that's uh he brings that to the party beautifully. And and then even you know, it's so great how that very opening, that very opening little scene, which I think is such an interesting scene to start the movie with, where he's on the plane and the guy's telling him, well, if you don't like air travel, Here's what you do. You get to wherever you're going, take off your shoes and your socks and like really rub your toes into the the carpet or the ground or the grass or whatever. Such an odd, such a weird little thing to start a big blockbuster action movie with this little very kind of personal, quirky observation from a guy you never see again. But then he uses it. Bruce Willis uses it in that moment when he's trying to like, you know, he's had the blow up with his wife and he's trying to like center himself and calm down. And he's like, (laughs) which is great because it sets up such a great conceit. The fact that this guy, not only. He's just no like this shirt, normal everyday schmo, but he's got no shirt. He's barefoot. You no know? shirt like, and no shoes on. When the shit goes yeah. down, it's like, like he says later on, he's like, well, thank God I had pants on. Because <laughs> at that moment, he, it's like, me. it's like, that's how suddenly things shift. And it's like, if there's a fire in the house, right? If there's, it's like, just get out, just go. You know, that's the situation he's in where he doesn't even have shoes on his goddamn feet. But it's so yeah. interesting how that gets laid in at the beginning. I watched it. I was like, what is this little moment? What is this about? It's interesting. It's curious. And then I'm like, oh my God, they're setting up, you know. Yeah, they got to set that up. For, for like what he goes through later on. Want to know the secret to surviving air travel? After you get where you're going, take off your shoes and your socks. Then you walk around on the rug barefoot and make fists with your toes. Fists with your toes. <laughs> I know, I know. It sounds crazy. Trust me. I've been doing it for nine years. Yes, sir. Better than a shower and a hot cup of coffee. <laughs> did you guys see the movie when it first came out? Yeah, I think I did soon after because it was one of those movies that, you know, was okay to for your parents to go, oh, we're all going to go see this. It's okay. We're going mm-hmm. with you or a friend's parents or or, or something like that. It, you know, um, it, it was the hot because, movie. Yeah. yeah, it really, really was. It was like, you got to go see this. Yeah. So I, I think I remember us going um and you're right jason you know the the other thing is that he unlike a, a stallone you know you know rocky aside where he mm-hmm. gets the living shit kicked out of him mm-hmm. you know certainly in 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 most schwarzenegger movies he's kind of you know he he, he might get a scar or a or a bruise but he's schwarzenegger right he's basically made of iron so it doesn't matter he gets the holy shit kicked out of him in this movie. I mean, he you, <laughs> yes. you feel like you've been through something by the end of this because he looks like he's been through hell and it works. And I, didn't, I really didn't put it together before you started talking about it. It's like, oh, yeah, that's why this this works is because he's not those guys and 
He is, um, you know, they make a point of saying, oh, no, this guy is going to really be, you know, in essence, putting his body through torture mm-hmm. throughout this entire movie. And it's going to be a miracle from scene to scene that he survives and not in a James Bond way, not mm-hmm. in a, no. not in a uh, dust myself off and on to the next thing. He's in dire pain. He's bleeding out his feet. You know, he's really, it's intense, yeah. really, it's very intense. And you, you feel the pain. You do. You feel his pain throughout this movie. I, I, you know, I hadn't seen this in a long time. And you're right about that beginning. It starts off not tipping mm-hmm. its hand of like, we're, we're not going to show you in any way, shape or form what you're about to experience for the next two hours, which is this right. guy going through hell. It's good. Yeah. It's it's not going to be what you expect. And it's not. And I think that's what what ultimately works so well for the movie is the unexpected. Come out to the coast. We'll get together. Have a few laughs. I remember mm-hmm. it was considered a joke when the ad, the 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 newspaper ad for it, and the the poster with like this high rise and an explosion and Bruce Willis's face or like half of yeah. it in shadow. I was, I remember all my friends were like, "What are they? What are they trying to turn him into?" That's not what well, he I, is. Well, I read a story you know? where they actually there was Isn't one point where they removed his face from the poster because executives oh. were like, "No, he's a TV guy." He's like the the wise ass on TV, and oh, they wow. it was the poster was just the picture of the tower. I think they thought, yeah, that you'd think it was like a Naked Gun thing or something like that. Yeah, you might think I it's don't, a comedy. They didn't oh think it was riff on an I don't remember movie. that at all. Wow, I mean, it makes sense though because Moonlighting. Yeah, you watch that show, you don't get oh next big action star for the rest no, of his life. Yeah, you don't no, get no, that. no, no, no. You know, and you, wow. And, and I think they and they also went to you know they went to great pains. I think before they hired him to do kind of. Um, you know, obviously you do a screen test of a movie once it's complete, but like to do this kind of audience polling and get this kind of data to find out, would people be turned off by him in an action movie? Would they be willing <laughs> to see it if he was in it? Yeah. And they got and they got enough response that was like, people like him. People aren't predisposed to not give it a chance because, you know, people weren't like, oh, yeah, that's the movie I want no, to I see. No, I think it was. I read, they I read like, that as well. They, they like, didn't care. Right. They didn't really care. They were like. <laughs> They're yeah, indifferent. They could leave it. see it. But they, but I mean, but enough were like, they weren't screwed off to the idea. Welcome to the party, pal. Do you know who was originally offered the role? Sybil Shepard. Uh, close, not, not too far off. Who was it? <laughs> Frank Sinatra. They had to, You're I read somewhere, they had to mind. contractually, apparently they had to, unless I misread. He was 70 to, at this point, wasn't he? Yes, he was. They, they had to contractually offer to him because the movie's based on a book oh. and the book book was made into a movie i think i might be getting something wrong here so technically this would have been a sequel mm. maybe like a very rough sequel so contractually they had to, they knew he wasn't going to do it and he was 70 years old as frank sinatra but i guess frank um, sinatra played this role i, I want to say it was called detective there was some connection but they had to offer it to him. That's a big. So, thing. That's a big thing in Hollywood. That I was just reading madness. another thing. I was. I'm reading. I, this. I mean, I think they knew he wasn't going to do it, or they wouldn't make it with him. But they had to put well, it out. There. I was reading this book. Uh, I, I'm in the middle of this book right now. Um, oh gosh, wild, I think it's called Wild and Crazy Guys. I don't have it right next to me. So, I, oh yes, Wild and Crazy Guys, and it's mostly about the uh, the era of Bill Murray, Chevy Chase, and all these comedy stars in the '80s, and and how they kind of reshaped Hollywood in that mm. decade. 
And uh, and in the the chapter on Beverly Hills Cop, they talk about it. it's very common. They have deals, either actors who have deals at studios or people who are considered like, oh, well, they had a hit with us. So we have to offer them. It's like kind of we do that to stay in Sylvester Stallone's good graces. We offer him every movie with a man of his age. <laughs> and it doesn't matter what it is. And we know the things he'll say no to. And we know the thing. And Beverly Hills Cop had been retrofitted as a real comedy. And they were, I think they were hoping to go for Eddie Murphy at that time, but they had to, like they wanted Eddie Murphy, but they had to offer it to Stallone. And they're like, well, he's not gonna wanna do this. It's kind of too jokey for him or whatever. And he was like, yeah, I wanna do it. Oh, Jesus. And they were developing it for, I mean, almost a year with Sylvester Stallone because they had to, if he said yes, they had to make the movie with him. Wow. And so he was doing it and then it kind of got out of hand and he wanted to make it like so crazy, such a crazy action spectacle with motorcycles and explosions and stuff. It just got so far out of hand. They finally, they said, (laughs) how about this? You can take all of your ideas and we'll let you go and take them and go make another movie somewhere else. Or you can stick to the original script that we gave you for this. And that was the deal they drew with him. They were like, do you want to make Beverly Hills Cop the way we wrote Beverly Hills Cop? Or do you want to make this other movie that you seem more interested in? Because now it's so different. It's another thing. And he was like, I'll, I'll take I'll, I'll take my idea and go somewhere else. And then he Can made Can I call Cobra. the lead character Gabe? <laughs> he made, it, was, it was Cobra. It was a- uh, Oh God, he, Cobra. He, yeah, he turned- he, uh, It was Cobra. It's like, I have these matches. Go. What am I going to do with these matches? Oh, and then they And then they now. were able to make the movie with Eddie Murphy. I was racking my brain trying to go, you're not about to say stop or my mom will shoot, are you? <laughs> what is he going to say? Cobra, no, because, wow, because you, because Cobra. You think, yeah, you would think like, oh, you would think it's about like, oh, well, he wants to make comedies now. So that's why he said yes to a script that- they didn't think he would say yes wow. to. But no, it wasn't even that. He was still in the mindset of like big action vehicles. But he, wow. uh, yeah. So he just wanted to retrofit it. He wanted to get the comedy out of it, really. Wow. And then make it like this vigilante kind of thing. And they were like, no, 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 no. So did you know he and Schwarzenegger actually turn down Die Hard? Sorry, Fred. Yeah. They both did, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Oh. What's interesting too, speaking of, uh, you know, talking about the comedy aspect of it and, and Bruce Willis just being such a great comedic actor on Moonlighting. Yeah. What I found interesting about this as well is that, you know, usually in those big action movies, there was always like the tagline, you know, stick around, you know, all, they, all those <laughs> stupid lines that those guys would have. Um, and Bruce Willis is very funny in this movie, but it's all just sort of more of these like wise cracky remarks. It's, it's shit happening to him and him getting his ass kicked. And it was just even just a a, a different, just sort of look on, on, on how and quote unquote action hero would react and talk. And there were, there were none of those. I mean, there was the, like the yippee ki motherfucker. But um, it's motivated. Which, it's, but it's, it's motivated. motivated. It comes out of a character. Exactly. And it comes and out of a conversation and, making fun of like, oh, you Americans and your action trope. And that's the thing. Yeah. And, and out of yeah. all people, it's Roy Rogers. So yeah. it's not like, you know, John Wayne. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, so it's, it's very clever what they did there. It's more of the every man, right? Yeah. yeah and they just turned that action adventure hero trope on its head a little bit. One of my favorite. Of those exactly, yeah. like, it's yeah. funny. He's like, and he's got this running commentary, like, "Oh, John, what'd you get into now?" Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he, like you really, said, he's oh, a wisecracking so guy. One of my favorite um, things in the movie is when he call, he gets on the CB and calls in. You know, he goes up to the roof and the he's using the antenna up there, and he, he the woman on the other end of the line is like, uh, "Sir, this is for only for emergencies." And he goes, "What the fuck do you think I'm doing, lady? Ordering a fucking pizza?" <laughs> I remember my dad laughing hilariously at that, and I laughed too <laughs> because that's exactly what you would say in that moment. It's like, "What yes. the fuck is wrong 
you idiots. You know, this is an emergency. We're being attacked by terrorists. I love that they give all these little what would otherwise have been unmemorable little ancillary characters. They give every single one a little character quirk. Well, you know Um, why they do that? Okay. Apparently, I mean, it's great. And it, it does flush out the movie a bit. There are moments where I'm like, is that really necessary? Apparently because Bruce Willis was still filming Moonlighting when he was doing it. And he can only give them a certain amount of time, even though he was paid like the most money that any actor had been paid at the, at the time. It was like five yeah, million. Yeah, five million to do this. Yeah, he, wow. um, he was still doing Moonlighting. So th- he, he could only give them a certain amount of days. So I read somewhere that because of that, wow. they were like, all right, well, he can't be here for these days. Let's, let's you know, pump up these characters oh, and show more. So let's go to the news studio and show these guys. How interesting. Um, that's so interesting. It, because, yeah, is, the newsman gets a little a little comic bit where he says Helsinki, Sweden instead of Helsinki, right. Finland. Oh, the, the, that's funny. The, the one guy who is the um, – it's the one um, Asian – uh, terrorist. He has that moment with the candy bar. It's a, yes, great, it's a great little moment. When they each have these little, the two brothers, the two, you know, the Hans and Franz, I forget their names. They have a little bit of a bickering sort of thing. Like everybody's, everybody's not just, no one's just stock newsman, stock terrorist, stock this. It's, 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 uh, they each have little tiny um, character quirks. And that makes sense. And the other thing that makes sense based on what you just said, Fred, is that I couldn't believe how long the movie went in the middle section with Bruce Willis essentially absent from the movie. Yeah. There's long well, stretches in the middle third of the movie where you do not see or hear Bruce Willis for a long ass time. I didn't notice and that. And to, to their credit, yes. they, and I think that's because they really focus also on the brilliant Alan Rickman. And this oh, was his first movie. God, you know, good. his first big thing. All of you relax. This is a matter of inconvenient timing. That's all. Police action was inevitable. And as it happens, necessary. So let them fumble about outside and stay calm. This is simply the beginning. That scene when they first come in, where you see them taking over and going through with such efficiency how they're going to take over the building, that's shot brilliantly. Yeah. I mean, it's really well done. It's really... It, it just moves, it clips along. Um, it, it's almost like, there's, I mean, now you'd say it's almost like there's like an Ocean's Eleven quality to it, you know, mm-hmm. uh, how they filmed those movies. But it's yeah, great, and great, his great. energy, Alan Rickman, as the sort of soft-spoken leader right when he first appears. And I, I think, you know, they, they, they come in and they're shooting off their guns. And he almost, he does like a little motion with his hands. You know, he doesn't yell. He's like, all right. Everyone, you know, he just sort of gives him like a hand motion, like I'm in control now. Mm-hmm. And then he starts to talk in that, you know, Rickman baritone. But it's uh, it's total so, yeah, control. They, it's control yeah. over everything, including his, he only sort of gets rattled very, very sparingly in the movie. So, yeah, it's very calm, cool and collected. And, and it's um, complete efficiency in his performance. And it's kind of the opposite of what. You know, in a way of what Bruce Willis is, is doing, which is really becoming more and more desperate as mm-hmm. things as things yeah. go. I mean, Rickman is too, but in an utterly different way. Well, it's so interesting when Rick he exudes Rickman exudes such cool and calm and control for so long mm-hmm. that when you see the mildest bit of trepidation or cross his, I mean, it's it's tiny. It is yeah. super subtle film acting. Just the the slightest. Letting down of the guard, 
it speaks volumes. You know that Bruce yeah, Willis yeah, yeah. has really gotten him with just like a, a little motion of his eyes. You're like, yeah. oh, wow. It, it it registers because he is so in control for so long. Yeah, it's really great. Who are you then? Just a fly in the ointment, Hearns. The monkey in the wrench. A pain in the ass. Do you have me at a loss? You know my name, but who are you? Just another American who saw too many movies as a child. Another orphan of a bankrupt culture who thinks he's John Wayne, Rambo, Marshall Dillon. I was always kind of partial to Roy Rogers, actually. I really like those sequined shirts. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. I don't know. Is this the best action movie? I, I that's what I wrote here. I was like, it's, I think this is the greatest action movie. It's it certainly there. sets I mean, a trend from this moment forward. Oh yeah, because then after that, everything's like, oh, it's Die Hard in a plane. It's Die Hard <laughs> yes. on an island. No, it's everything die hard is in a, Alcatraz. A, no, it, it it changed the landscape of action movies in many ways because it's like we were saying, taking the everyman, the everyman stuck in this crazy situation. Yeah. Um, And that's what you'd see that all the time with like log lines for movies that would be coming out. Yeah. Yeah. It's Um, a a legitimate classic. And and I think, and I, absolutely. And, and that, that scene, I think I wrote down, this is the most exciting fucking sequence. (laughs) When he's, when he's up on the roof and he's, and he's firing the gun, and like you're trying to get all the hostages off the roof, the roof's going to blow. And then he's going to tie the hose. That was the first scene he shot. Really? Wow. That was the first That's scene he shot. He it's, literally, he literally was shooting. Crazy. I was read. He was shooting moonlighting, and then he flew in and did that. And they're like, "All right, tie this fire hose around your waist." That's amazing. Uh, and that scene, God. yeah, and he's such a, a that scene with uh, with uh, it's it's good enough, right? The, the yeah, 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 yeah. Alexander, Alexander good enough. That fight, he was that good big, enough. Big fight. Hey, yeah. hey. But that big fight. What does he say at one point? He says, I'm going to cook you and then I'm going to eat you while they're fighting. Yes. That's crazy. I I did notice that this time. I was like, oh, he's talking. He's really, he's angry. He's talking a lot. I'm going to cook you. No, there was a lot of like, you motherfucker. I know. I I don't think I ever heard that so clearly before. I'm going to cook you and I'm going to eat you. What a fucking weird you. Uh, I will say one thing about uh, good enough uh, that was not good enough in my opinion. Um, I think the movie is practically perfect. I think I d- when Rickman dies, that's when the threat dies. And oh, yeah. if you're going to have, have a zombie, yeah. th- first right. of all, you, if you're going to have any kind of zombie return thing, it would have to be well, Rickman, which is impossible. But I mean, that's the character yeah. you'd want to see have a last right. lick or something. I don't want to yeah. see this fucking guy. This, okay, this so, blonde, let- and I hate it. And it's a thing that's been done and parodied now. So, you know, there's oh, like yeah. killer because of back fatal attraction and all okay, the but let's, all the movies. Let's, all let's so talk- one last stab. I just have to. Well, what do you want to say, Fred? But let's talk about the deeper part of that as well because it's not that he pops out no it's that Reginald Bell Jackson shoots him that the pacifist the cop who after shooting somebody and taking a life says I can't bear to draw a gun on somebody and take a life again then that's how he proves his manhood that's his redemption that's his redemption through violence that's his Christmas miracle no yeah and again in 1988 when I was a junior I was probably like yeah of course give that give that man his own television show with the kid named Urkel. Yeah, he's well, fucking and awesome. And you know, and uh, this movie uh, is exactly No, I know this movie gave it him family came matters. One year later, he played yeah. a cop on a set. No, he's so likable. 
And so he really is. Yeah. He's yeah, Family Matters is basically it. a spinoff of, of Die Hard. But he's but played so many now, cops in his career. <laughs> yeah. No, but, he, but it is. I mean, he always plays cops. He's no, played it really like is. eight in his career. That's how, we, that's how he got Family Matters from Die Hard. He, became, he was, he was like course. the breakout character. I mean, obviously, other than Bruce Willis. Did I do that? I wish there was more. I mean, I enjoyed Bonnie Bedelia in it. I like her as an mm-hmm, actress. Mm-hmm. Um, I I wish there was a bit more. She seemed sort of, she disappeared for a very long time. You know who I loved in it is- uh, uh, Hart Bachner. Hart Bachner. Of, like, of Supergirl was, fame. Yes. Oh my and a break, God. And a, and a breaking away. Oh, oh, but sir, wow. they're just not good enough. He's another guy who's always great at playing a dick. And he is He's really a good. wonderful- coked up sweaty dick in this movie yeah yeah his uh, scene with rickman is terrific and yeah and mclean trying to go this guy is not he's gonna uh, kill you yeah and he doesn't get it at all it's great heart bachner but yeah, yeah he's he's i mean again a bit over the top in the performance but uh but it works i mean it was it was the 80s i figure you're here to negotiate am i right you're amazing you figured this all out already <laughs> hey business is business you use a gun, I use a fountain pen. What's the difference? Let's put it in my terms. You're here in a hostile takeover. You grab us for some green mail, but you didn't expect some poison pill was going to be running around in the building. Am I right? Hans, Bobby, I'm your white knight. The sequels to this movie, yeah. I think, are the, uh, the, Let's rank the next one, the Rennie Harlan one, is good. He's very good. The third one is okay. Fourth one, I don't really remember. Never saw the fifth one. Have you guys seen it? I no. don't think I've seen I, the fifth. I think I saw part of the fifth one on TV or something. But I, I stopped after the third one. I, I mm. love the fourth one. I love Live okay, Free. I need to rewatch Live that, Free I, or Die Hard. I think very, I remember liking good. it. I Who's in that? Rewatch. I can't Justin remember. Long yeah. is like this uh, computer nerd. Side. Yeah. He's like oh, dating right. his daughter. Yeah. And Timothy yeah. Oliphant is the villain. And it's very much about like... You know, like shutting down the the. Oh, the grid I thought that was the fifth that. one. No, that's Wait, what the fuck that one's the in Russia. One? That one's uh, yeah, I've never that's seen called the fifth a good one. a good day to die hard. Oh, I never, right. I don't think I ever saw that. But live yeah. free uh, and die hard, I really enjoyed, and that was that was the the kind of uh, you know because they did um, the first three were done in pretty rapid succession over the course yeah. of like six years, and then it was. Must have been almost must have been almost twenty years before they did the fourth one because it was wow. like 95, 95 is Die Hard with a Vengeance, and that's yeah, no, with Jeremy Irons, yeah, yeah, that's ninety five. No, so it's only like twelve years because it was two thousand seven is the fourth one. So whatever, so twelve years and still a long time. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah, and I really like that one, and 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 Die Hard okay. with a Vengeance with Sam Jackson. And Jeremy, I remember really liking that one. Yeah, I don't remember the second one that. that the second much. one is um, with uh, William Sadler uh, mm-hmm. and John Amos are the main bad guys, and it is all. And Rennie Harlan directs it, who directed Cliffhanger, as mm-hmm. we know. Right. And um, who it, plays Mister Falcon? It, <laughs> Some motherfucker. <laughs> uh, I, I think Jeffrey Tambor played Jeffrey Tambor. <laughs> Learn this play, Jeffrey Tambor. All right, so how many Sheilas for Die Hard? How many Sheilas? I oh. I gotta give Die Hard. I think I I think I'm gonna. It's at it's at least as good as Ghost. So I'm gonna say eight and a half Sheilas. I would say eight and a half to nine. It's not. I'm trying to think. There's some. That's a tough one. Yeah, I'd, I, I, it would be up there. It'd be up there. I think it's. I think it's. It's. It's nine Sheilas and and a quarter 
of a cardamom pancake. <laughs> and how many um, how many Megaforce motorcycle loop-de-loops do you give a fish called Wanda? I give it uh, I give it seven. That's exactly what I give it. Seven, seven loop-de-loops. Four <laughs> shoots. I'd give it eight loop-de-loops only because I want to see that extra loop-de-loop. <laughs> if Barry Boswick is riding it, my God, I don't care. I'll, I'll give Baby's Day Out 30 Megaforce loop-de-loops. Now. Just to get Barry wow. on oh, that baby blue bandana riding that motorcycle. Now again. you're saying what we're all thinking, finally. <laughs> Well, uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us for this week's edition of Opening Weekend. Next week is a very special episode. It is uh, the 40th anniversary of 1980s Caddyshack. And we're going to have a deep dive discussion about that movie with uh, Angie, the character of Angie from that film, Peter Burkrott, who uh, we had a great conversation with. And uh, we're looking forward to sharing that with all you guys next week uh and until then dan oh yeah Man- what do i do tonight my dear manualist wow friend, emmanuelist lewis what I- <laughs> oh and what subscribe 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 did you already say that fred yeah, yeah I I okay it. thank god yeah, you're just Everybody stalling now like times. subscribe Everyone give us stars like stars listen review. to it there talk was about a it. share hashtag what was in Die Hard? wasn't it uh da, 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 yeah there's ode to joy from Die Hard. you could do any christmas song basically yeah i think i feel like let it snow is in there somewhere kevin klein briefly goes into a song that we italians hold near and dear to their heart the song volare volare so i could go into vol i could do a little volare I think whatever you ask your hands, what they feel. All right, let's see. Let's see. Maybe they maybe they want to do a medley of Volare and then a little ode to joy. Let's see how let's see how Volare goes. Oh, it's a good resonance tonight. That's good. All right. You can you can feel your Italian heritage. That's what I'm saying. My Italian ancestors are very proud. They are. Like I was in Sicily, walking down a nice cobblestone street. I know, saying Volare, and now a little uh, to take us out. Merry Christmas, everyone. Christmas. Happy holidays, y'all. The opening weekend podcast is produced by Jason O'Connell, Fred Berman, and Dan Matisa with help from Ethan Duff. Thank you for listening.